Last week we talked about hope and the hope of Christmas and how hope is tied in with the idea of the incarnation and that God incarnate brought with him hope, that the hope of the world is Jesus Christ. And um, now we're going to take a little bit of a turn and talk about light. It was interesting as, as we were planning the service and picking out songs, um, there are very, very few traditional Christmas carols that have the theme of light in them, which I thought was really, really astounding, especially considering John and his depiction of, of Jesus coming. He said in John chapter 1, oh, it went away. In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made, without him nothing was made that has been made, and him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, children born not of natural descent nor of human decision, but of God's, or a husband's will, but born of God. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. So it seems to be a, a pretty significant theme of the Christmas story, light. Light is a pretty significant theme. And so we're gonna look at that today. By the way, Jesus was really white and had orange hair in that. I don't think that's what Jesus looked like, but I know that probably distracted some of you. Um, you can just move past that now and, uh, and rest assured. But Matthew chapter 25 is where we're gonna spend most of our time this morning. Got a few things to share and we'll be done before you know it. Matthew chapter 25, verse 31. We should have this for you on the screen. It's also in the YouVersion Bible app. If you have your phone, you can go there and see our bulletin as well as the scripture for the day. This is Jesus speaking. This is at the end of his ministry. This is just before he's going to endure the cross and all the things that come with it, and he's doing some of his final teaching. He has just been doing the teaching that talks about the end of times and some of the things that will be happening in Matthew chapter 24, and he shared that there. And then here he's talking about us. And he says, when the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, he will sit on his glorious throne. Remember, Advent, this Advent season that we're talking about and that we're in right now is not just looking forward to or expecting Christmas to come, but now that Christ has come on Christmas 2,000 years ago, now we are expecting the day that Christ will return. And this is what, what uh, Jesus is talking about here in this chapter and in this, in this teaching. When the Son of Man comes in his glory, this is the hope that we're all waiting for, and all his angels with him, he will sit on his glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered before him, and he will separate the people one from another as, as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He'll put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. And then the king will say to those on his right, come, you who are blessed by my father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you invited me in. I needed clothes and you clothed me. I was sick and you looked after me. I was in prison and you came to visit me. And then the righteous answered, 
Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and go to visit you? The king will reply, truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. And then he will say to those on his left, depart from me, you who are cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger and you did not invite me in. I needed clothes and you did not clothe me. I was sick and in prison and you did not look after me. They also will answer, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or needing clothes or sick or in prison and and didn't help you? And he will reply, truly I tell you, whatever you did not do for one of the least of these, you did not do for me. Then they will go away to eternal punishment, but the righteous to eternal life. It's a hard passage, I know, and when we're in the season of hope, it's probably probably a question, why are we covering this passage during the Christmas season? For one, I think uh, it's really important that we understand that, that the hope that Jesus Christ offers is the hope for the believers. And I think we do a great disservice to the truth of God when, when we eliminate the need for belief. And that's often what, what we hear in today's culture and today's climate. It's not, it's not popular to talk about those who do not believe and their doom that looms ahead. I myself do not enjoy talking about it. I don't like thinking about it. I don't like giving it much consideration. But at the same time, we must understand that it's here for a reason, that, that, the, that the truth that, that God will separate the righteous from the unrighteous is a truth of God's word. And we cannot, simply because it makes us uncomfortable, put God's truth aside. We must embrace all of God's truth if we're going to embrace any of God's truth. And this is, in fact, his word to us as believers. So what is the hope then in this for us this Christmas season? For one, I think the hope is for us as believers, if we have done the things that we have been commanded and called and given to do, then what waits for us at the end is eternal life. Verse 46 46 says, then they will go away to eternal punishment, but the righteous to eternal life. For those of us who who fulfill the commands that God has given to us, what waits for us is eternal life. So that is hope for us. And the driving force then for us reaching out to those who don't yet know Christ ought to be the first part of verse 46. Then they will go away to eternal punishment. Are there those in our life who right now are destined for or doomed for eternal punishment? Are there those that that are in our lives that don't yet know Christ, who don't yet know the light and the hope and the glory of the Christmas season that we're celebrating right now, that, that that God has put us in their life for us to shine brightly the light of Christ, that they might receive the gift of Christmas for the first time in their lives? I think the doctrine of hell has been maybe misused and abused throughout our history as a church, but it's important for us to understand that there is an importance in it, and I think the major emphasis on it is for us as believers. Not to use it as a scare tactic to try to, to, try to scare people into the kingdom of God, but, but to motivate us as believers to be able to reach out and live the life that we've been given to live so that they, too, may know Christ. 
The second thing I want to share with you is this, this least of these phrase. There is some debate about this phrase. There's some debate about who Jesus is referring to when he's talking about the least of these. Some would say that in the context of this passage and Matthew's other use of the phrase brothers, it would indicate that Jesus is only speaking of believers who are doing the will of the Father. Others would say that Jesus is speaking of everyone. So which is it? Personally, I would say it's both because both are consistent with Scripture. We as a church are to care for the least of these among us as believers, that, that among us as the body of Christ, God has given us the burden, if not the blessing, of, of carrying the weight for those who are the least among us who need our help. But that is, that is a call that is given to all believers, and we see that being lived out in the New Testament church in the book of Acts, that they all lived together and held everything in common, and there, common, and there was not one among them who had a need. They cared for them. We are to care for the least of these among us as believers. Matthew chapter 10, 42 says, If anyone gives even a cup of cold water to one of these little ones because he is my disciple, I tell you the truth, he will certainly not lose his reward. 1 John chapter 3, verse 17 says, But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. So certainly you can make the argument that Jesus is talking about the believers, and, and probably that is a very accurate interpretation based on the context of what he is saying and his audience and, and who he is talking to as well as who he is talking about. But we would neglect major portions of Scripture if we did not also concur that Jesus is talking about how we are to carry or care for the burdens of the poor. Proverbs chapter 28, verse 27 says, he who gives to the poor will lack nothing. Proverbs chapter 14, verse 31, whoever oppresses a poor man insults his maker, but he who is generous to the needy honors him. And Isaiah 58, verse 10, if you pour yourself out for the hungry and satisfy the desire of the afflicted, then shall your light rise in the darkness and your gloom be as the noonday. So here we are, we are given the urge and, and the command to pour ourselves out and fulfilling the needs of the hungry and satisfying the desires of the afflicted. So, and for our purposes as a church, when we think about the least of these that Jesus was speaking about, we're going to think about all contexts that God gives us the opportunity to minister to. We're going to think about the context of our church and caring and loving one another as he has loved us so that our love shines for those who don't belong to this community, that they see how we radically love one another and the way we radically love one another draws them into the love of God because we are doing this because of his love. And we're going to love those outside the church in such a radical, generous way because we have been given much and we want to radically give to those who have need. The least of these. The second phrase I want to point out is doing unto Christ. And for this, maybe an illustration will help. I like to, I like to build furniture. I like to make things out of wood. 
We've talked about this from time to time. I, I like making tables. I like making bookshelves. You know, I like making anything you can make out of wood and, and kind of have this, this piece that, that you made in your house and have the joy of making things. I love the idea of, of timber frame and mortise and tenon and great big structures that will last and far outlast me, last for hundreds of years. I, I love the idea of woodworking. But, but when, you know, when I first started as, as making things out of wood. I, I didn't quite have the skill to be able to make something that was, that was really well done. But now I think maybe I've gotten a little bit better and I, I have some more skills where I can make things and maybe be able to give them out and not be embarrassed and maybe someday be able to sell those things and, and not feel like I'm taking people's money uh, unjustly because I've made something that's not going to last. But Let's say, just for instance, that I get a call from the Salvation Army, and the Salvation Army says, we have, we have a, a family, it's a single mom, and she has a few kids, and she's kind of gone on some hard times, and, and we heard you make really good chairs when she has an infant, and, and we thought, well, maybe you would be able to make one of your rocking chairs for her, and, and we thought, well, maybe, maybe you could just donate it and, and give it as a gift to her, and how would I approach or how would you approach that? Hopefully, our approach would be good, but maybe for some of us it would be, well, I'm going to, I'm just going to be giving this away, so uh, you know, maybe I'm going to use some scraps and some leftover materials that I have instead of buying the best things, or, or you know, I'm not going to put in as much time, or I'm not going to put in as much effort onto the details of it. I'm just, I'm just going, it'll be solid, it'll be good, but, but you know, it's, just, it's just for me to give away, and, and who knows if they're going to appreciate it or not, so, so I'm not going to put all of my effort into it. And then maybe a, a week or two or a month or two later, we get another phone call. This phone call just happens to be from whichever high and mighty righteous person best works in your mind. Whether that's the Pope, maybe, uh, maybe it's the president, maybe it's you know, some other world leader that, that they call. And you know, of course, it's not the president who calls you know, because the president never calls. Of course, not the pope who calls because the pope doesn't even show up for the Christmas tree lighting. So he's not going to call you on the phone. So, um, but you know, one of his, his underlings, his staff, you know, the third cardinal beneath him or whatever, they call you up and they say, hey, the pope wants one of your rocking chairs. He, he heard about it from all the way over here in, in Rome and he really wants one of your rocking chairs what is your approach going to be when you know that you're making something for the Pope? What's your approach going to be if you know that you're making something for the king? You know, the king of England or the king of whatever countries still have kings anymore. I know there's no king, I know there's a queen, but there'll be a, qu there'll be a king in our lifetime of England again. You know, how does your approach change if you're making something for you know, a gift to a down and out person to, some, to royalty? And I think this is the emphasis of what Jesus is saying because, you know, we, when it comes to caring for the poor, for those who are hungry and need food, for those who are naked and need clothes, those, those who are without and need our assistance, we ought to, because Jesus says this is how it actually works, we ought to love and serve and come alongside and care for them as though we were doing it unto Jesus himself, as though we were doing it for the King of kings. Hebrews chapter 6 verse 10 says, God is not unjust. He will not forget your work and the love you have shown him as you have helped his people and continue to help them. We show love to God 
by the way we help his people and continue to help them. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 7 says, Serve wholeheartedly as if you were serving the Lord, not men, but because you know that the Lord will reward everyone for whatever good he does. Serve wholeheartedly with your whole heart, with all of your motives, as we've talked about, with every motive of your heart being as though you're serving the Lord himself, not man, because that is how it actually works. We are serving God by the things that we do. As you think over this past year, how would you categorize the the motive in your heart when it came to caring for and serving the poor among us? Would it be out of obligation, or would you wholeheartedly serve because you know you're serving the Lord himself? Okay, so we are supposed to serve the least of these as though we are doing it to Christ himself. We are serving Christ himself because of the way that we care for those among us who have need, but why? Why is this such a big deal? Why is this so important for us as followers of Jesus Christ? You know, as Christians, why has there been such an emphasis on a, and burden on Christians throughout history to, to live in such a generous way? And you look throughout history, if it were not for Christians, we would not have the hospitals and the orphanages and the schools and all of the, the food pantries and food help and all of the different agencies that exist and have existed for, for hundreds and thousands of years around the globe would not exist if it were not for the Christians that started them. In fact, many of the hospitals still carry some of the names like St. John's. Why, why has this been such a big deal for the church? Why has the, has the church been categorized as caring? And are we still that way today? Well, a verse that's not unfamiliar to us is Matthew chapter 5, verse 13 through 16. Jesus is speaking in the very beginning of his Sermon on the Mount. He says, you are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its flavor, how shall it be seasoned? It's good for nothing but to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. And then Jesus speaking to those who are listening, so we are in his audience right now, so he's speaking to us, this is his word to us. He says, you are the light of the world. That means we, we as the body of Christ, are the light of the world. Jesus came as the light of the world, and when he rose from the dead and ascended and sent his spirit to live in us, now we are filled with that same spirit of light. We are the light of the world. But listen to what, to what he says. He says, a city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket, but they put it on a lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. The way the world sees our light shine is by the good works that we do. And this word so, let your light so shine before men. Let your light in this way shine before men. What is the way that, the, that our light is supposed to shine before men? Not in this, this little, maybe I'm going to light it right now if I can get away with it mentality that maybe many of us have when we get out and around those who don't yet believe. So, okay, I'm going to light my light, but maybe it's going to offend somebody, so I'm not going to light it real bright. 
And I know the feeling, trust me, I understand the feeling. You, you, you get to that point where you feel like you're about to cross the line with someone and you're about to shine brightly the light of Jesus Christ and, and you're worried about it. You're worried about how it's gonna go, how they're gonna receive it, how it's going to impact your relationship from this point forward. And so we kind of maybe get a little bit scared about shining our light, but the way that we're supposed to shine our light is the so that a city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket. Has anyone seen in the story and the recent news about, about uh, the light that's kind of being caused and the light pollution because of LED lights? Anyone else see that story? Being interesting, they showed pictures from satellites or from the space station or whatever it is that showed how much light there is on Earth at night. And the whole thing was, you know, LEDs were supposed to bring down, lower the cost of energy, but they didn't foresee that it was going to create a lot more light pollution in the world. And so there's this unintended consequence of, of making light as bright with using less electricity. The, the result was people just put out more lights. So uh, we have more lights and we're using the same amount of electricity and it's brighter. And so they showed pictures of it from, from, from up above the earth and you can see that the earth is just in all of these places now just illuminated by the light at night, and, and this, is the, this is kind of the picture that we're supposed to have, in our, the kind of light that shines so bright you can see it from a satellite, right? That's, that's the picture that we should have in our minds. The, back in this day, they, they didn't have electricity, they didn't have all of the things that we had, so if there was a city set up on a hill and you were out in the middle of a desert, you would see the lights from the city that is set up on a hill when it's shining. And the example I've used here before is like when you're coming over the 205 bridge and, and you're coming over right at sunset, and as you're coming over right at sunset, all of those lights reflect off of all of the houses, windows up on Prune Hill over there, out, out there in Camas, you know. And, and as you're driving by, you're just blinded by the reflection of the light from all of those houses, and it's sitting up here on this hill, just, just glowing in such a bright way. This this is, this is the kind of light that we're supposed to shine as followers of Jesus Christ, that, that we should sit up on this hill and shine brightly the light of Jesus Christ for all to see. And how? How do we do this? It's through our good deeds. We do this through, through the way that we care for people around us. See, we've confused it that, that if we're going to shine brightly the light of Jesus Christ, that we have to get out with, with our picket you know, sign and we have to, we have to condemn people and, and say that you are condemned and you're going to face judgment and, and God judges you. And we think that that's the way that we're supposed to shine the light, but that's not the way we're supposed to shine the light. We're supposed to live a life that shines. Are we supposed to share the gospel? Yes, we're supposed to share the gospel. We're supposed to speak the truth when we have the opportunity but here Jesus is speaking about our good deeds. Let your light, the good deeds in your life, shine before men that they may see your Father. Give glory to your Father in heaven. Luke chapter 15. I just want to read this and summarize it. It's a famous parable of Jesus. It's a banquet, a wedding banquet or not a wedding banquet, just a banquet, and something strange happens. Just before the banquet, Jesus gives this command. He says, when you give a dinner or a supper, don't ask your friends, your brothers, your relatives, your, or rich neighbors to come, lest they also invite you back and you're repaid. But when you give a feast, invite the poor, the maimed, the lame, and the blind, and you will be blessed because they cannot repay you. For you shall be repaid 
at the resurrection of the just. Now when one of those who sat at the table with him heard these things, he said to him, Blessed is he who shall eat bread in the kingdom of God. Get this idea of this guy who wants to show just how smart and righteous he is, and he's going to comment and throw in this comment, you know, this, this eager guy, and throw in this comment and, and say, blessed, are, blessed is he who shall eat bread in the kingdom of God. And Jesus said to him, A certain man gave a great supper and invited many, and sent his servant at supper time to say to those who were invited, Come, for all things are now ready. But they all, with one accord, began to make excuses. The first said to him, I bought a piece of ground and I have to go check it out. I ask that you have me excused. Another said, I bought five yoke of oxen and I'm going to go test them. I ask that you have me excused. And still another said, I have married a wife and therefore I cannot come. So that servant came and reported these things to his master. And then the master of the house, being angry, said to his servant, Go out quickly into the streets and the lanes of the city and bring in here the poor and the maimed and the lame and the blind. And the servant said, Master, it is done as you have commanded, and still there is room. And then the master said to his servant, Go out into the highways and the hedges and compel them to come in, that my house may be filled. For I say to you that none of those men who are invited shall taste my supper." The standard form of doing things in the kingdom of God is, is aggressive, bold, crazy generosity. The kind that throws a banquet and invites the blind and the lame and the maimed and the poor to come and partake. This is the kind of generosity that is supposed to exist in the kingdom, both among the body and with those outside the, outside the body. This is our radical generosity. Why? Why are we supposed to be this way? Because of Christmas. We shared last week, John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. God so, God in this way, loved the world that he sent his son. The way that God loved the world is by sending his one and only son into the world, which we're celebrating now at Christmas time, and to ultimately give his life to pay the ransom for our sins and then to be resurrected to give us justification and new life and then all of the things that come after that. This is the way God has loved the world. Why are we supposed to love those around us in this radical, crazy kind of a way? Because we have been loved in this way. God in this way loved us, so we ought to love the world. Because as we talked about, we are the hands and feet of Jesus walking this world today. Christmas is a wonderful time. I love, I love Christmas, my, my favorite season of the whole year. Look forward to it for many, many months. I'm one of those weirdos that starts listening to Christmas music sometimes in July, like I did this year. August, September, October. It's just too much good Christmas music to try to cram into that one month. It's a wonderful time. It's a time that as the traditions that we put up on the screen, you know, there are lots of good things that come out of us during the season. We kind of become the best version of ourselves during the Christmas holiday. We, we want to give of ourselves and, and be, be generous and gracious in the way that we live our lives at Christmas time. 
Many of us were more inclined at Christmas to give to charities, and maybe it's because the end of the year is coming, but we're just more generous in, in general. We'll give to charities, we'll give to churches, some of us will give to other homeless shelters and other compassion-minded ministries because it's Christmas time. But without being cheesy and really throwing this thing off track, we shouldn't save it all for Christmas. Don't save it all. Remember that? For Christmas Day. I'm not going to sing the rest of it. I just want you to think of this when you hear that song this week. Give a little love every day. How about if we gave a lot of love every day? What if we were radically generous all year long? What if the spirit of Christmas, as, as we've talked about already this morning, was something that, that we carried in our hearts and our minds and our lives all year long? Not, not just the, you know, the Scrooge version of Christmas, but, but the true, real, radical Christ coming to earth, the light shining in the darkness version of Christmas, and we carried that spirit of Christmas with us all year long out into the world that is flooded with darkness, and we didn't hide our light under a basket, but we put it up on the highest light stand that we could find to shine brightly the light of Jesus Christ? What if, we, what if we lived our lives in that spirit of Christmas all year long? And what if we, what if we did these good deeds and people through the good deeds were drawn to, to, the, to our Father God, our Heavenly Father, who cared so much that he sent his Son? What if we, what if we lived our lives in this way? This is our purpose as believers. This is our purpose as followers of Christ on this planet, to live our lives because of the way that we have been loved. We are called to radically live our lives because of the love that we have received and a life that is lived because of God's love overflows with generosity to believers and non-believers alike. We are so filled up with God's love that God's love flows out of our lives. A life lived because of God's love understands that everything we have is a gift from God. He has blessed us with these things not to hoard and keep for our own advantage and for our own security, but to take care of and to be good stewards of and to use for building and shining God's light and building God's kingdom so that God might receive the glory. Right now in each of our lives, I know God has put people into our lives so that we can care for them. I know God has put people in each of our lives so that we can be generous toward them. And each act of generosity is going to look different from person to person. We may not have an abundance of money to be able to give, but you have an abundance of something that you can give freely of. All of us are blessed abundantly by a great creator God. And we have something that we can offer in abundance to those in our, in our lives around us. What do you have to offer generously? to the least of these. Who could you invite to come in and sit at the feast? You know, we might have to do the work, right? We might have to go out and get the turkey. We might have to bake the rolls. We might have to make the pumpkin pie, but it's his feast. It's his feast, and he's given it to us so that we can give. Who can we invite to his feast? Who can we invite to share at the table of his generosity that he has blessed us with so that they may see our good deeds and glorify our Father in heaven? Let's stand together.
Heavenly Father, I thank you for your radical generosity in sending your Son. You poured out your love for us in sending your Son in such a radical fashion to come and actually be God and man and walk among us. And not only to just walk among us, but to actually die a death, though he was innocent and did not deserve it, to die the death we deserve to die on the cross. You loved us that much, that radically, that you were willing to do this for us. Father, this Christmas, may we be inspired by Papa Panoff and his experience that he had, that, that we realize that, that the way that we shine brightly the light of Jesus Christ, the way that the light is going to shine in the darkness is by the needs that we, that we meet, by, by caring for the cold and the hungry and the poor and those who are without clothing, those who are in prison, those who are sick. Father, I pray that you would not only give us the burden, but give us a passion for living this kind of generous life. This life that shines for your glory, not for our own credit, not for our own egos. But that we say it's all because of Jesus. It's all because of what God has given me and the Christ child. It's all because God is with us. Emmanuel has come and God is with us right now in this moment and he has empowered us to live this kind of life that we're able to be generous and, and say it's all because of what God has done for me that I'm able to do this for you. Father, help us to live a life that shines and to do it because of your love. If there's someone in our life right now at this moment that, that you have brought to mind, if there's someone that you've put at the, at the forefront of our minds this morning that we need to love in this radically generous kind of a way, I pray, Father, right now for the courage and the boldness of each of us to go out and love them radically generously. That we would take your truth that we have heard this morning, the, the truth of the light coming into the darkness and go ourselves into the darkness to shine the light. May we do it for your glory, for your name. May it be your name that is ever on our lips that we speak the name of Jesus for all of the blessings we have received. That we seek to give credit and everything to the God who has given us everything. And all of this so that one more person might be saved from the doom and despair of an eternity without a Savior and be brought over to the side of the righteous to live in God's kingdom where God himself is the light. This is our hope. Father, motivate us by that hope to save those who are without hope in this world today. In Jesus' name. Thank you.